0: And church, go ahead, I'd invite you to open up to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. If you guys wouldn't have said anything, I thought we were going to do like, Joshua, do this song, you do this song, and kind of like in the round or something. I don't know. I thought maybe that's where we were going. So, preschoolers, you are dismissed, and we will see you a little bit later. All right, Romans chapter 2. As you're turning there 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 was a a night a few years ago uh, where I was working in the emergency department and uh, it was a night that i will will never forget uh, A man came into the hospital complaining of of back and leg pain and the e r was especially full that night and uh he didn't seem to be in too much pain at the time and so kind of had to wait a little bit before he was uh seen and registered and uh, he finally gets put back into a room, put towards the back of the department where some of the less uh, serious things usually go. Uh, but, but all the while, he's being a, a bit difficult. Um, you know, I think some people think that, that, you know, their job is to get themselves to the hospital, and then they just, you know... You you take me from here, um, and so wasn't really answering any questions. You know, like what's your name, and how did this happen, and what's g- give us a little something. Give us give us a little bit of a story here as to as to what's going on. And um, he was kind of a little combat- combative with the nurses as well, and that made it uh, difficult to just get vitals from him and and just figure out what was was going on, getting all his information correct and all that. Um, And I come in and I start talking to him, and and it's still kind of all very confusing as to what's happening, why he's there, what his complaint is. He's not helping much as to what is happening, but I finally then am able to check his his legs and his feet. Uh, And I notice that there's something wrong with his legs and his feet. And so I immediately go get the physician I was staffing things with that night because uh, I know and I'm concerned something is seriously wrong with this person. And we start moving them up to the, the shock rooms so that they can get more care more quickly. And all the, the registration people and everyone that checked him in were kind of fighting us along the way. You know, it's, it's just back pain. It's just leg pain. Just, and and even, even the patient himself, it's like, it's just back pain. Like, I think you guys are kind of overreacting here. And you see, the big deal about what was wrong with his legs was that he didn't have pulses in his legs. Or very at least very diminished pulses. You could barely feel them. He didn't have blood flowing to his legs. And so something was seriously wrong, right? With either his heart or his circulatory system, something was not right, did not have life getting to his legs. And so he gets starts getting everything thrown at him to stabilize him, and surgeons are called, and he, he, he goes to imaging to kind of help diagnose what's happening. And unfortunately, within, within minutes, he codes and he dies. And later we find out that he had a, Aortic dissection, a tear in the main artery coming off the heart. Large tears are almost always fatal. And what he needed was surgery on his heart like two hours before he arrived at the hospital is really what he needed. And later a surgeon would come in and kind of confirm that this this man was dead upon arrival. There was nothing humanly possible that could have been done in time. And that, that weighs on me. Sorry to start with a, a heavier story this morning. Um, but church, because of sin, apart from Christ, we are dead upon arrival as well. But just like this man, we, we convince ourselves and others that the problem we have is not all that serious. It's just a little back pain, a little leg pain have a little problem here and there, but it's, it's not that serious, right? All the while ignoring that the main problem we have is a matter of the heart. And it's a serious heart condition that we have. And we're picking up this morning in Romans 2, verse 12 where Paul is in the middle of showing us why the gospel is necessary, and he's doing this by showing us that the law of God has diagnosed the hearts of all humanity as sinful and dead upon arrival. For all people have in some way or another either rejected their creator, like we saw in Romans 1, or they have rejected their need for a savior, as we've seen in Romans 2. And in Romans 2, Paul has been directing his prosecution specifically towards those Christians who had grown up in a Jewish household or they'd grown up in a religious household, grown up in a good and moral and ethical household. And he's really concerned with these religious people but because he's concerned that they are in fact more likely to stay in their sin and reject their Savior because they don't see just how serious of a conviction condition they have really is. They think they're safe because they've made it to the hospital, right? They've they've been part of the synagogue. They've been part of the church. They've been in the right family. They got to the right place. However, the problem with their heart has never been addressed. And this morning, as we finish out Romans chapter 2, we're going to see How the law of God exposes our heart. All right, that's the first thing we're going to see. The law of God exposes and diagnoses our heart. It's like the the CT scanner, right? It's going to show us what's happening with our heart. We're then going to see how we try to hide our hearts through hypocrisy. This is a common problem. Once we've gotten a diagnosis, we try to hide our hearts through hypocrisy, and then we'll see how God has gloriously provided a way for life-saving surgery to be done on our hearts. So let's pray, and then we will uh, start uh, into finishing out Romans chapter 2. Father, we do ask that you would, Lord, work powerfully through your word, Lord, that it would would cut us to the heart, that it would diagnose the condition of our hearts this morning. Father, we ask that you would show us who you truly are, that you would show us your glory, that you would show us our sin, that you would show us our need for a Savior, Lord, and that you would fill us with your Spirit, that we might delight to walk in your ways. Oh God, we ask that you would move and work in this time as your word is proclaimed. Help us receive this word. Help it take deep root in our hearts. Help it transform us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. God's word says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, you'll remember just a a verse before there in verse 11, uh, Paul has taught us that God is impartial, right? God doesn't show favoritism in his judgment. All are going to be judged by Christ. And for those that grew up without the law of God, they have no excuse because we've seen in chapter 1 that God has given them creation, right? He's given them general revelation, right? Which is divine attributes are made manifest through his uh, general revelation. But we also see here that God has given them a conscience, Right? These are two good gifts that God has given us. Even those that have not heard the law of God, they've been given creation and they've been given a conscience. Right? All humans have the ability to make moral judgments. There's this inbuilt sense that we have of what's right and what's wrong. Now certainly we can sear our conscience. Right, Certainly some, by not listening to their conscience over and over, can diminish it to where they, don't even really, they can't hear it much at all. Some of us maybe have an oversensitive conscience by feeding it with opinions rather than God's word, right? So, so conscience, I know, is, is, is kind of a variable thing, but it is something that God has given to all. We all. Everyone has a conscience, and everyone has the creation, and therefore those that grow up without the law of God still stand rightly under the judgment of God. But on the other hand, he says, those who have the law they also stand rightly under the judgment of God because Paul says, hey, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous. It's the doers of the law who will be justified. Which let me, let me caution you with that one because I know all of you Romans 2 type people hear, uh, hear and think, oh yeah, don't just hear the law, do the law and you're ready to go do, 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 right? But listen, this is not a faith without works argu- is dead argument. All right? that's, not, that's not his line of reasoning here. This is a, yes, only doers of the law will be justified, but you can't do the law. That's what he's getting at here, right? He's saying it's not just the heroes, it's the doers, and none of y'all have done it, right? That's what he's saying. In in James 2, verse 10, uh, which we'll, we'll have up here on the screen, James 2, verse 10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Right? So none of you have done the law. And this is why Paul, in the next chapter, in Romans 3, verse 20, he's going to say, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No one. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right? It's, it's exposing the heart, it's revealing the heart, it's diagnosing the heart. All right? So here, here in Romans 2, he's, he's teaching us that, that those without the law will rightly be judged by God because God has given them his creation and he's given them a conscience. And those with the law will be rightly judged because it's not just hearers of the law who will be justified, but doers, and because of the state of your heart, apart from Christ, you can't do the law. And so let's, let's pause here for a second. Let's talk about the law, all right? Because uh, maybe we don't even know what I, when I'm talking about the law of God, all right? Typically, when we talk about the law of God, uh, people are referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes Christians will refer to the law of God as being all the commandments uh, throughout Scripture. But typically, it's the first five books of the Old Testament or what we mean when we say the law, And in these books of the Bible, we find God give civil law, moral law, and ceremonial law. And I think it is helpful to understand these three categories. He first gives civil law, right, which were laws specifically for the nation of Israel and how they were to govern their nation. And while this is not always directly applicable to different nations, there certainly are some wise principles that we could directly apply to how we govern other nations. But he doesn't just give civil laws, he also then gives the moral, his moral law, right? Which most people, when you think of the moral law, you think of the Ten Commandments, uh, with there being maybe some little debate over the Sabbath. Uh, But the moral law that God gives is very much still applicable to us today. It's what a lot of the New Testament writers and Jesus himself pick up on and apply to our lives today. But I, but I think even with the, the moral law being given, I think there's a misconception that like if people, you know, if the nation of Israel back in the, if they would have just tried harder, they could have done it, right? If they could have just worked a little harder, they maybe could have done this. But that doesn't seem to be the case because God in giving the law was actually giving his people grace because what does he include in the law? He includes a ceremonial law. He gives them a sacrificial system. He gives them a way to deal with the sinfulness in their hearts that the law exposes, right? I mean, what do we just read in, in Romans 3.20? Through the law comes knowledge of sin, right? This is exposing something. This is diagnosing something. The law exposes and diagnoses that there is something wrong with the human heart. It's like getting a a CT scan, right? It's like taking God's word and God's law. It's like looking in a mirror and seeing all the blemishes and imperfections that you see looking back at you in the mirror. And in the book, Uh, A Gospel-Centered Life, Pastor Bob Thune, I think, gives us a really helpful and concise way to understand the law of God. And we'll leave this up on the screen for for a little while if you need to, if you need to jot it down. But he says, every command in scripture points us to our own inadequacy, right? That's the first thing it does. It exposes and diagnoses something in us. It's like looking in a mirror. I mean, Romans 2 people, we love to think of the word and the law of God as like a microscope that we get to put other people under and just pick apart. It's not a microscope. It's first a mirror, all right? And it shows and exposes to us all the ways that our hearts have missed the mark, all the ways we've fallen short of this law that our God has given, all right? So every command of Scripture points us to our own inadequacy. But it doesn't just do that. It also magnifies the good and holy nature of God. It teaches us something about God, right? What kind of God wants us to love our neighbors ourselves? Like, that's, that's a good God, right? It teaches us his commands, teach us something about the good and holy nature of God. But then it doesn't just just do that. It also, these commands cause us to look to Jesus as the one who forgives our disobedience and enables our obedience. In other words, here it is, the law drives us to Jesus and Jesus frees us to obey the law. I think that that sums it up so nicely, right? The law drives us to Jesus, and Jesus frees us to obey the law. And this is why, this is why the gospel, this is why the gospel, the good news, it has to become your gospel. Look look back in in Romans uh, uh, 2. Look back at Romans 2, verse 16, and look what Paul says. It's, it's subtle, but I think it's important. He says in 2.16, On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't always call the gospel my gospel, but there are times throughout where he calls it like my gospel. My gospel. You see, God is going to judge all the secret things of your heart. We see this in verse 16 as well, right? All the ways you have not measured up to his law. His commands should be showing you how you have fallen short. They serve to show you just how good and holy our God is. And they should be causing you to look to Jesus to receive forgiveness for your disobedience and to receive the Spirit who will then enable your obedience. But the law of God by itself is not good news. The law of God is a guide that was meant to expose your heart and lead you and guide you to Jesus. And so there are a few times in the New Testament where Paul calls the gospel, my gospel. And he's not trying to say that the good news is about him, but that the good news about Jesus has been so sweetly applied to him by the Spirit that it is now his good news. Right, and so let me ask you this morning: What is the good news of your life? Right. I mean, the church answer, and it's just you know, it's the gospel, it's Jesus, right? But but really, what is the good news of your life? Is it that you were raised in a good family? Is it that you have a good church? Is it that you hold in your hands the good word of God? Is it that you are a good neighbor or you got a good education? Is it that you get to live in a good country? Is the good news of your life simply that life is pretty good? Listen, praise God for all those good things in your life. But remember God's kindness towards you was ultimately meant to lead you to repentance to have a change in the affection and direction of your life. And so you need to ask yourself, has the gospel of Jesus Christ become my gospel? Has this gospel led me to repentance? Is this my good news? And the the kids that are in here, listen up, kids that are in here, Has the good news of Jesus Christ become your good news? Or is it still your parents' good news? Or your pastor's good news? Or your friend's good news? Has it become your good news? Is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ the best news in your life? Or does it barely squeak into the top ten? Church, when the law of God exposes our hearts and we learn that Jesus is going to judge the secrets of our hearts, the gospel becomes the best news in the world to us. And we will see later that it is through the gospel that God has made a way for our hearts to become like his heart. But before we get to that, Still have some more bad news. So we have to learn that once our hearts have been exposed, there is a tendency amongst humans to hide the condition of their heart through hypocrisy. Look back with me at verse 17. He says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, And boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You see, Paul is, is speaking here against those Jews who had become prideful and arrogant about how God had chosen them to communicate his ways to his world, right? I mean, this was, this was an amazing thing that God had set his affection on them and chosen them to communicate his ways to his world. But instead of being a light to the nations, they actually became prideful and arrogant about it. And they actually resented the nations. I mean, I think us church people can maybe start to relate a little bit to this, right? Like, instead of seeing this this great privilege of God setting his affection, giving us his word, giving us the gospel so that we'd be a light to the nations, we actually have become prideful and arrogant about it. We've actually resented the nations. We've resented those outside the church. And one of the main reasons that this happened with them and that this can happen with us is because the law of God was supposed to humble them. It was supposed to expose their hearts. But instead of allowing it to do the work on their hearts, they chose to hide their hearts through hypocrisy. And it's what some of you might be doing right now, too. Look back at verse 21. He says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The word hypocrite is a word that's describing someone who is acting a part. It's a word that was used in Greek plays to speak of actors who, you know, wore those masks that hid their real identities. They were called hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite, it it does probably get overused. And and I think it is sometimes used unfairly with Christians. Because someone who is a hypocrite is not just someone who doesn't practice what they preach. Like, it's not not simply that. I mean, to not perfectly practice what you preach is not being a hypocrite. That is what is called being a human being still in need of grace. All right? That is what is called being a parent or being a teacher, right? Uh, If the requirement to be any type of teacher was that you had to perfectly practice what you preach, I'm telling you, we'd have zero teachers. And so that's not the heart of what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is not failing to perfectly practice what you preach, really, Hypocrisy is not believing what you preach. Hypocrisy is not believing what you preach. Hypocrisy is not public virtue with an occasional fall into private sin that is quickly confessed and turned from. Hypocrisy is pursuing public virtue as a way of hiding your private sin so that you can continue in it. So sure, hypocrisy and hypocrites might not practice what they preach, but it's because they don't believe what they preach. Hypocrisy is preaching the gospel to others and not believing that you need it yourself. Hypocrisy is taking your kids to church because you know they need to hear the word, but not believing that you need to hear the word as well. And this is what we as religious people are prone to do. We are prone to hide through hypocrisy when the law of God exposes the condition of our heart instead of allowing God to do the surgical work on our hearts that we need, we'd rather hide our hearts by busying ourselves with all these external matters. Right? God starts coming after our hearts and we say, "No, no, 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 no. It's it's look at our back, look at our legs." It's not that serious, Lord? Don't measure us up against your law. Look at all the money we gave to missions. Look at how many Bible classes we took. Look at all the sick that we've cared for. Look at how much our church has done for you. Look at how many sermons we sat through. And when you do this, you show yourself to be a hypocrite because you are not believing the gospel the law of God is meant to lead you to a saving and sustaining relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you fight it every step of the way, because you don't really believe He's the only one who can forgive your disobedience, you don't really believe He's the only one who can enable your obedience, you are hiding your heart from the Savior and the surgeon that it desperately needs. And Jesus speaks very very harshly towards the hypocrite in matthew 23 verse 27 jesus says woe to you scribes and pharisees and hypocrites now woe is an expression of extreme displeasure right it's jesus calling for severe retribution and punishment he says woe To you, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Church, may this not be us. May we not waste our lives. May we not waste another Sunday trying to outwardly appear righteous, all the while our hearts are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, we can, we can hide through hypocrisy by only caring about you know, outwardly, how we appear outwardly and externally, and thinking because we can hide our hearts from others, that we can hide our hearts from God, but we we can't. When God exposes the sin that exists in your heart, think about it. How do you respond? Is your first response to try to downplay the sin that has been exposed? Is your first response to defend it or or diminish it? Do you try to make excuses for it? To maybe compare it to the sins of others? Do you defend it? Do you deny it? Or do you confess it and turn from it? Do you lay yourself down and allow him to do heart surgery on you? Or do you fight with him? Do you resist the spirit of God? C.S. Lewis once wrote, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. I'm reminded of this quote at times when we, when we worship Um, I know we all have different different ways of worshiping. Uh, um, I do at times like to hold my hands up. For me, it's an act of surrender. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of laying down my arms and surrendering for the Lord to do heart surgery. You see, if you are hiding in your hypocrisy, you likely believe that others are in need of surrendering to Christ, but but you don't believe it's true for you. And I'm telling you, it is. You need to surrender to Christ. The Jews were, they were proud because they had the law. They didn't really believe it. They didn't really do it, but they had it, right? And they rested in the fact that they had, they had heard it. And listen, for us, I mean, to hear the gospel is a a glorious and a great thing. To hear the Word of God is is, is such a, a gift from Him. But just hearing it is not enough. Like, you have a serious heart condition that needs more than just hearing the gospel. You can't just rely upon the fact that you heard the gospel. No surgery on the heart is still required. And Paul's about to tell them this. Look at verse 25 as we finish out Romans 2. He's going to show them. You need surgery here. uh, uh, Romans 2, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Now, admittedly, we as American Christians come to the topic of circumcision very differently than the first century Jewish people did, okay? Um, And you see what was going on in their their teaching and understanding. Some Jewish people thought that circumcision was this special, magical thing that was kind of like a a get-out-of-hell-free card. Right? You, might, you might compare it to the Christian who says that he walked an aisle and got dunked in a tank and that he's good, right? To No need to actually repent or trust in Christ. In fact, uh, some of the, the rabbis uh, had these teachings that said, no man who was circumcised could go to hell or face God's judgment. Right? That's a quote from some of the rabbis. They said, no man that was circumcised could go to hell or face God's judgment. And Paul is trying to say, no, 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 no. That's not true. Like if you if you kept the law perfectly it's beneficial for you but none of you has Jesus has but none of you have kept the law perfectly. And so what now Paul is doing in an attempt to knock, knock everything out from under them that they are, repl- they are relying on uh, other than Christ, he's now going to go after circumcision, right? He's tried to knock out like their pride and their, their nationality, right? Their pride of their family heritage. He's tried to knock out the pride they have of having the law. And now he's coming after circumcision. And so let's try to understand this a little bit a little bit more. God had uh, initially introduced circumcision to Abraham back in Genesis 17. And it was to be a sign and a seal of the covenant that God had made with him. All right? Circumcision was supposed to be an external sign of God's gracious covenant that he had initiated with Abraham and his offspring. All right? Circumcision was also a sign of a son entering into the community of the people of God. It it marked him as being now a part of the people of God. And the actual surgery, the actual act of circumcision, also showed and demonstrated to the people something as well. It showed and demonstrated to the people that they need to be cleansed. All right? So not to be too detailed or provide you too many questions for your car ride home, for those of you with kids. Uh... But the actual procedure, right, it symbolized that need that all human beings have for sinful flesh to be cut off. Okay? It was a symbol of cutting off sinful sinful flesh. It was supposed to be a humbling thing that they needed to do this. There is sinful flesh that needs to be cut off. But unfortunately, just like the law instead of being humbled by this, they actually became prideful about it. But here's what people who only care about external things miss. Circumcision was always to be pointing them to the inner reality that they needed to have surgery on their hearts. And this wasn't a new idea that just showed up even with Paul in the New Testament. Uh, Back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, Moses says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You see, this is just not a new idea that shows up with Paul, but Moses understood this. Moses understood that their hearts needed surgery so that they could love God with all their heart something had to be done supernaturally and surgically to the sin in people's hearts for them to love God with all their heart. And here's how God accomplished that. We actually see it in Colossians 2. So we'll put Colossians 2 verse uh, 11 up on the screen here. Colossians 2 verse 11, Paul writes and he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All right, here's, here's what that means. When Christ offered up his flesh on the cross, he allowed his flesh to be removed and cut off from the presence of the Father. So when Paul says the circumcision of Christ, he's not talking about when he was a little Jewish baby. He's talking about him surrendering his flesh to be cut off from the presence of God so that now through faith, the Spirit can apply to us what Christ has accomplished for us. Isn't God good? Paul's saying that physical circumcision, it was was always to be pointing to a spiritual circumcision of a cutting off of the flesh, which was accomplished by Christ on the cross and applied to the believer's heart by the power of the Spirit. It was always pointing to a deeper reality, a reality of of our hearts. The shadow in the Old Testament of circumcision was pointing to the New Testament reality of regeneration. Regeneration. We see this word used in Titus 3 verse 5. Regeneration. He says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a problem with your heart that you can't successfully hide with hypocrisy, and only the Holy Spirit can make right. Only the Holy Spirit can take the law of God and the righteousness of God that stood over you and can apply it to you. Only the Holy Spirit can put the fulfilled law of God in you so that now, that now the law of God is no longer this duty, but now it is a delight no longer do his commands now seem burdensome. We actually now experience them as blessings because you've gone from a dead-upon-arrival heart to a heart that has been made a new creation by Christ. The word regeneration literally means another genesis. Another genesis. It's a new beginning, a new birth. And church, this is the ultimate need of all of our hearts. And so I don't want to go another day here working on your back and leg pain if we've never actually addressed the matter of the heart. We need to be born again. We need the Spirit of God to come and do a supernatural work on our hearts and on the hearts of our kids. And here's another thing we can praise God for. The new birth is not something we can do. It's something that God gives graciously and generously. I mean, even a husband knows how foolish and immature and even insulting it is to joke about his efforts in a labor and delivery, right? I mean, we still do it because we think it's funny, but we know it's Ridiculous. And so too is it foolish and immature and insulting for a Christian to think that they have contributed to their new birth. You didn't create yourself and you did not recreate yourself. It was all by the kind and generous and glorious work of God. And this is good news. This is good news. If it was up to me, this is not good news. But this is God's work. And this is the hope that hypocrites need to hear. So what is the good news in your life? Has the good news about Jesus been so sweetly applied to your heart by the Spirit that it is now your good news? I mean, isn't there something about when we hear good news? It just, it energizes us, right? You you hear good news about something and it just, it fills you with life. If we really preach the gospel to one another and we really believe it, this should be good news that energizes us and sustains us. But listen, if you are trying to obey the law of God, while resisting the spirit of God. And you don't know why life is such a struggle. You don't know why things just seem to be like going through mud. Listen, I know you think it's just a backache or leg pain or something like that. But there might, I think there's probably a real problem with the heart. And you need to lay down your arms and surrender to Christ. The surgeon knows what to do. The hard part is just to stop doing for a second, to lay down and to surrender to Him. And today, if, if you are unsure, if you've ever repented of sin and trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord and received the Holy Spirit, If you're unsure, if those things have ever happened to your life, listen, I'd invite you, after this service, come up to the front. We're going to have pastors up here and other people ready to pray for you. That always needs to be our our first step in knowing what to do. We just need to pray. We need to lay hands on and pray that God would do a supernatural work in your heart. And for those of us that this has already happened to, right? Those of us that we know we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, we need to remember this. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and we need to rest in that, and we need to lean into our new birth. For our hearts, yes, are beating once again, but there's still much work for God to do on our hearts, and there will continue to be much work for him to do on our hearts until the return of Christ. And then we will be made like him, for we will see him for as he truly is. What a day that will be. Listen, church, when the law exposes our hearts, when anything of God's word exposes our hearts. And this is, this is probably why some of us are hesitant to go to the word. You instinctively know that it does expose your heart. It's like a mirror, and sometimes it's like, eh, I'd just rather not look today, right? Let's just go. But I'm telling you, go, go, go. Let it expose your heart, because God has given us a way to deal with the sinfulness in our hearts when they, it gets exposed. We can lay it down at the foot of the cross, for Christ has died for it already. We can confess it to God. We can confess it to one another. We can ask one another to pray for us that we might be healed. The gospel frees us from hypocrisy. Christ is our righteousness. We don't need to put up a front. We don't need to act, uh, play a part here. And so I'd invite you I'd invite you, those that need to come and confess sin, those that need prayer with someone, come to the front as well after we're done. And let's pray for one another. Let's confess to one another. We must not try to hide our hearts through hypocrisy. I sat yesterday in a 37-year-old man's funeral. One of the physicians I used to work with got diagnosed with brain cancer a year ago. Left behind three little girls. And I came out of there just, I mean, I think as you do, I think as you do every time you go to a funeral, right? You, you. The Lord teaches us to number our days. We all kind of, even Christians, live with this denial that like, Death is a thing. We all assume we have 80, 90, 100 years. But we don't. The Lord knows. But I don't want to go another day living and hiding in hypocrisy. And I don't want anyone in here to do that as well. Let's deal with it today. I don't want you to go another day being unsure if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray over you today. Let's ask God for that. He gives good gifts to his kids. He gives better gifts than we give to our kids. Let's ask him. Let's ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Let's confess our sin to one another. The gospel frees us and allows us to do this. Church, God's kindness to us is meant to lead us to repentance to have a change of affection and direction in our life, Christ was cut off from the Father so that in him sin might be cut off of us. And church, how worthy God is of all of our praise and adoration. And so I'd invite Joshua and Seth, you guys can come uh, up here. We're gonna uh, respond uh, by singing and worshiping God together. We're then going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to sing again. And then after that last song, then I'll I'll invite anyone that wants to come up and pray. Come up and let's pray. The pastors will be up here. But anyone else that wants to pray for people, come up and pray as well. But we're going to respond in song right now. We're going to proclaim that there is no one holy like our God. There's no religious hypocrite that is holy like our God. There is no one that has done the law like Jesus has. He alone is worthy. And we're going to declare together that he is the only one that can save us. It's not the prayer we prayed that saved us. It's not our baptism that saved us. It's not the Lord's Supper that saves us. It's not our church membership that saves us. It's not our family that saves us. Jesus Christ is the only one strong enough to save us this morning. And so we're going to proclaim that together. He alone is the only one that can save us. And then we're going to ask him to open up our eyes, to show us who he truly is, and to fill us with his spirit. Let's cry out to the Lord together, but I'll, I'll pray for us as we close. Father.